Well, good morning. I am so honored to be in this space with you. And I want to say first and foremost, thank you so much, Pastor Kurt, for the honor of ministering the Word of God from this platform. Uh, Tony Lee, thank you so much for your generous and warm greeting uh, that you gave me this morning. I felt like I was family uh, when you reached out and you shook my hand. Uh, Can we show honor to our pastor this morning? So Marlene and I just celebrated 17 years of marriage, and when we stood at that altar 17 years ago, we had no idea the life that was awaiting us. We had no idea that we would endure two miscarriages back to back. We had no idea that Marlena would battle chronic illness, and even to this day she battles uh, migraine headaches that are pretty severe, and we had no idea that we would have a funeral for our 13-month-old daughter, and that all took us by surprise. But something else also took us by surprise, and that was the goodness of God. Because I came here today to declare His goodness. Because in the midst of the darkness, we found a faithful friend. We found a Savior that came from heaven to earth. He walked in our steps, and He conquered death, but also conquered every obstacle you and I will ever face. And so I came here today to declare the goodness of God, to amplify the glory in my story, His presence in my pain. And I hope that today we can take an honest look at a pretty uncomfortable subject. We don't have enough conversations that are productive about suffering and pain. Just yesterday's events highlight again, just like why? Like, why, why do these things keep happening? And so we're going to address that this morning. A couple of weekends ago, I was sitting in my house. You saw it in the video on the first floor and the National Weather Service blasted out a warning, a thunderstorm warning. 70 mile an hour winds were called for. And then as the wind blew through my neighborhood, trees began to snap and give way. And one tree came down on the power line between my house and the road. And you can go to the next slide. There's what was the power line. Next slide. You can see the culprit, the big limb that took out that power line. And then you can see the side of my house where the mast for the electrical power was ripped off the side of my house. Now, we fared really well in comparison to our community. My in-laws... Uh, suffered uh, a lot more tree damage. Uh, You can see the next picture. This is right next to their house. Uh, There are two pine trees, uh, huge in diameter, and it was amazing that they didn't take out the house. Next, you can see again how big those trees really are. And let's go to the next one there. Now, look look closely and you'll see something uh, called a pergola or the structure formerly known as pergola. It's hiding underneath the trees there. And here's the miracle of all of that. There wasn't a single reported injury in our entire community. Hundreds, if not thousands of trees were leveled and snapped and rendered into just brokenness. And through it all, there was no injuries. A friend of mine had his children staying at the campground in town. And when the storm hit that morning... They were in a tent, and as the winds picked up, 
his boys evacuated the tent and a tree came down and crushed the tent. And the camper that they escaped to had a tree fall on it. And it blocked them in. And someone had to take a chainsaw and cut them out of the, the camper and remove the big tree out of the way. And sometimes life will bring storms. Sometimes things will happen that we're not ready for. We didn't think would take place. And we're like, oh man, what a mess. This is awful. And when we lost our daughter, people would say all kinds of things to us. And one of those things was this. God would never give you more than you could handle. Have you ever had someone say that to you? Weren't you tempted to give them more than they could handle? <laughs> and then you could say, I'm not God. Jazz hands. Like, why do we say things like that? It's just fascinating. It sounds true, doesn't it? But if you study the scriptures, you'll read story after story after story where God allowed his people to be pushed past their limits. He allowed his people to endure atrocity, to be wronged. In, in Genesis, we read of Joseph, who was wrongly accused, thrown in prison, and sat there for years. That was more than he could handle, folks. In Exodus, we read of God allowing his people to be enslaved under a brutal dictator for a long time, and then his deliverance of them was also more than they could handle. Read it in Exodus for yourself. They're losing their minds. And then in Hebrews, you read a story of God's precious children being persecuted to the point, and if I may be so graphic, the scriptures say that his people were sawed in half. That was all more than they could handle. So here's what Jesus has to say about this idea. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this life you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We are aware now and we follow a risen Savior who came from heaven to earth. He conquered death, dysfunction, and disease. And now He invites you and I into His victory, into His life. And it's all there for free if we would just turn from our way and to go His way. Several years ago, a friend of mine got me to do something pretty stupid. Have you ever heard of the Tough Mudder Adventure Race? So I signed up and I did it. Picture this, 10 to 12 miles long, over 20 military-style obstacles, and as the name implies, mud everywhere, everywhere. And one of the obstacles was called the electric eel. Picture a mud pit 30 feet long, hundreds of hanging wires connected to 10,000 volts of electricity. Why? I don't know. I paid money to do this. What is wrong with me? A lot, apparently. And so I... I'm waiting now for, for my turn. And I'm hearing snap, crackle, pop. People are getting lit up by 10,000 volts of electricity. It was crazy. And the woman in front of me, she's waiting her turn. And waiting. And waiting. And I'm like, come on, let's go. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm scared. And she, she bails. Which created a problem for me. 
It was my turn then. And so I, I get down on my hands and knees and I'm crawling through the mud and I'm up to my nose in mud, folks. I was so focused, I would have made Chuck Norris proud. I'm just saying. And so here I am. I know electrical cords are touching my head. I know they're brushing my shoulders, but nothing's happening. And I'm like, I'm in the midst of a modern day miracle. This is awesome. And I climb out. I found out later that they turned off the power. (laughs) Apparently our self-preservation instincts were slowing that event down. So they were like, turn off the power, let these lemmings through, it'll be fine. Now the second to last obstacle was called Everest. And this is a 14 foot high curved wall that they made slippery. And I'm standing in line waiting for this moment, and I'm watching other athletes bound up the wall with gazelle-like grace. And I'm like, that's not me. And so I run as fast as I can. I jump, I reach for the edge, and I slip, and I fall, and I slide down the wall like Garfield the cat on a windshield. It was awesome. And in the meantime, though, one of my friends, he conquers the wall, and then he turns around and he puts his hand down. And I'm like, this is it. And so I ran as fast as I could and I grabbed his hand. And he helped me overcome my obstacle. And that's the picture of the gospel. You see, Jesus came and he conquered every obstacle you and I will ever face. And now he stands victorious on what's in front of you. And he reaches and he's like, follow me. I want to invite you into my life, my victory. And it will not be easy. But with Christ, it is possible. And here's what we need to remember. Suffering is not a probability. It's a promise. And if we just let that sink in for a second. Following Jesus does not exempt us from suffering. It's an invitation to suffering with a greater purpose. God's plan for all all of our lives is not to make us fat, happy, healthy, and wealthy. It's better. I mean, picture this. In your marriage, in your ministry, in your occupation, in your life as a student, God wants to resurrect people all around you from death to life, and He's going to use you. But He needs all of you to do it. And suffering has a way of helping us trust Him with all of us. Here's another thing that people said to us after our daughter died. Everything happens for a reason. Have you ever heard that? We say that because it sounds true. Yesterday's events, if we were to say this to that, Here's what that sounds like. God caused yesterday to happen. Now let's think about this for a minute. And let's rewind all the way back to the book of Genesis where God creates paradise for Adam and for Eve. And He tells them, Adam, Eve, all of this you can, you can have, but this tree of the knowledge of good and evil don't Just don't. And he's like, enjoy, avoid. Touchy, no touchy. Like God, he's super simple. Super simple. And he's like, if you, if you choose that choice, you will die. And they chose that choice. 
And that is what we call the fall of creation, where sin, death, disease, dysfunction entered the human experience. So the first Adam messed it up. Now the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is putting all things back together. And let me just do a quick side here. As I pulled into the parking lot this morning, I've never been here before. But I sense the Lord speak to my spirit. And this is what I heard Him say. I am making all things new. So here's what that means for us today. In your story, no matter what you've encountered, the promise of our God is that He will make all things new. And some of you are up against some pretty awful stuff. That's not bigger than our God. And sometimes during worship, one of the most beautiful things we can do in the midst of our mess is to merely humble ourselves and amplify the truth. The greater is He who's in me than He who's in the world. That the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us. So, whatever you're battling today, know that Jesus is your victory. And if you just look to Him. And I also want to declare purpose and hope and life and healing over this body. I believe God's best work for Saginaw First has only just begun. I believe that you're going to see healings. I believe families are going to be restored in this space. I believe that this city will never be the same because of what God's choosing to do right now in this fellowship. Let's praise Him this morning. Let's offer up our hearts and say, God, you're good. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. So here's what I believe. Does everything happen for a reason? No, it does not. God does not make everything happen for a reason, but He does give a purpose to everything that happens. Adam and Eve's decision to rebel and go their own way, God is giving that a purpose. My daughter's death, every week, I'm learning how God is giving her death a purpose. Think about this with me for just a second. Four years ago, we bought the house that you saw in the video. Well, technically, we're borrowing it from the bank for another 26 years, but <laughs> that's another sermon. So, a year and a half ago, our neighbors, their one-year-old daughter died. So how in the world Do we buy a house next to a family that is now walking an almost identical path as us? But God, see, you may be in the midst of an awful mess right now. I just want to remind you of the truth. That no matter what it is, God's going to give it a purpose. Did He cause it? No. Will He give it a purpose? Yes. Because He is good. And here's why this is important. Our perspective will either produce or prevent perseverance in our lives. How we wake up every morning before we put left foot, right foot on the floor and walk into our day, how we see what's in front of us matters. Our perspective will produce or prevent perseverance in our lives. And this came to life for me when I was a junior in high school. I ran cross country for one year. That's all I could take, church. Running's dumb. 
If you do it right, all you want to do is stop. Think about that for just a second. Your heart pounds, your body cries, tears of pain. Some people call that sweating. I don't know. My body doesn't sweat. It sobs. It begs for mercy. And I don't know why I do that to myself. I run, but it's like Brussels sprouts. Ew. And so I'm just saying. We have this one race in Duluth, Minnesota called the Swain Cross Country Race Invitational. It's three miles long. And they put the starting line at the bottom of a hill. Picture this with me. Starting line, hundreds of hopeful young, you know, children with hope and purpose and life, and then a hill. Picture running across a soccer field that's tilted up. Starting gun goes off, we run the hill, we do a loop, we run the hill again, and then those sadistic race planners, they put the finish line uphill. Isn't that demonic? I mean, it's got to be close. It's got to be close. But each mile of that race was prophetic preparation for me because each mile was different. And had something to teach me. And so today, if you'll let me, we're just going to walk through a metaphor called the Three Mile Valley. And each mile has a key idea that if we'll grab as we go, we'll learn how to suffer well together. So let's begin. In James chapter 1, verse 2, the Scripture says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is a verse that's tough to read, isn't it? Because it, it challenges like our sense of like, why? Like, why would I consider it joy when my life is tough? But God's got a different vantage point in life. He has a different way of seeing things. And I'll look at the word trials. Focus on that for just a second. A trial, it starts and it stops. It doesn't last forever. And if you and I are to suffer well, here's what we need to know. Now is not forever. In other words, what you see is not what you get. What you see is what you must get through. And if you can wake up every morning and tell yourself the truth that when you're in pain, when your life is absolute dysfunction all around you and your hopes are in disarray, that every day you and I wake up, if you can tell yourself the truth, now is not forever. What I see is not what will forever be. This isn't going to outlast me. It definitely won't outlast God. And because He is with me, this moment, although it may be tough, I will get through it. Several years ago, I was at a movie with some friends. It was Avatar in 3D for the second time. If you've never seen Avatar, here's what you need to do. Take the plot line of Dances with Wolves and merge it with Smurfs. Then you've seen Avatar. (laughs) And as I'm watching Avatar, um, my left eye is crying. Literally, my left eye is crying. It's burning, not my right, just my left. And I'm like, what the world is going on? And so as I'm watching this movie, I, I'm not like a cry your eyes out type of guy. In Avatar, it's not that kind of movie. Like, was that, did that tree scene where it fell over, did that wreck me? Was I so connected with the Navi people that I was just broken over their story? No! My face was just freaking out. And so at the end of the movie, I find a mirror, I look, and I'm like, this is not okay. Something's wrong with me. So my friends and I, we all went to Culver's, which is, which is what Jesus would do. You can read about it in the book of editions. It's right after second hesitations. 
Don't look for it. It's not there. I made that last part up. But here we are sitting at Culver's now, and I'm still crying out of half my face. Something is wrong with me. And I go to take a drink out of the straw, and my mouth will not form a seal around the straw. My friends are starting to wonder, like, why is Culver's such an emotional experience for Dan? I don't know. So I get home, I look in the mirror, and this side of my face is paralyzed. It, it wouldn't move. I look at my wife, and I'm like, look at me. And she says, it's not that bad. And I'm like, point of order. If half my face not working is not that bad, how ugly was I before this happened? <laughs> I'm just saying. So I get to the doctor the next day, and he says, I have Bell's palsy. He said, take these pills in two weeks, you'll be fine. I started popping those like Flintstone chewables. I wanted to get better. That joke was for everybody my age and older. And so here we are. Now, three months later, I am not better. I'm taping my left eye shut every night. I'm putting eye drops in my eye four times every hour. Have you ever looked in the mirror and been unimpressed with what you see? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you can't hear anything they're saying because you're so focused on what's wrong with you? That was my world for five months. And I'm happy to report I got most of my face back, but I'm not all back, church. I'm about 90% better. So everybody over here, you're getting all of me. Everybody over here, so sorry. I wish I could give you more. I can't. I want to. I can't. I learned a lot during that season. And now's not forever. What I see is not what I get. What I see is what I must get through. In other words, I need to learn to think right. I need to think right about my situation. Is it a coincidence that the hill on which Jesus died was called Golgotha, which is another word for the place of a skull? That's what Golgotha means, the place of a skull. Now, what's inside of the skull? The mind. What does a skull represent by itself? Death. So is it possible that Jesus Christ came to not only be our substitutionary atonement so that He would absorb the full wrath of God so that we could live abundantly and fully in Him? Is it possible that Jesus Christ also defeated the mind of death and defeated toxic thinking for you and I? And so let's start walking in this truth, church. Let's start walking in the power of thinking God's thoughts about us. What could happen if you look in the mirror this afternoon and you declared His truth over your story? I think it'd be good. But it takes a choice. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. And I want to focus on the word testing. Because in every test, there is a choice. And when you and I suffer... We have a choice to make. And here's what we need to know as we enter the second mile of our metaphor called the Three Mile Valley. It's, we need to cherish your choice. Cherish it. Because sometimes that's the only thing we can control. Sometimes that's all we have is our ability to decide what we do next. And so when you and I suffer, we need to cherish our choice. In other words... We shouldn't make permanent decisions in temporary seasons. And that's tough, isn't it, church? Like when the marriage isn't going the way we dreamed. 
when our son or daughter hasn't returned to the Lord and it's tempting to stop praying, when the miracle for healing hasn't been answered the way that we wanted it to, it's tempting to stop praying. But I want to encourage us to keep holding on. Because the truth is, our response is our responsibility. Our response is our responsibility. After my daughter died, I struggled a lot with anger. And one day I was trying to build some frames in my father-in-law's workshop. These frames were five feet wide by three feet tall. And my friend, Eric Samuel Tim, was going to stretch a canvas over the front of that and paint a beautiful picture so that students in Wisconsin could experience hope in a powerful way. But the project was not going right, and I snapped. I literally lost my cool, and my hands took that frame and destroyed it, and pieces of wood flew across the bench and onto the floor, and I'm standing there breathing heavy. I am just mad. And all of a sudden, a warm presence filled the room, and I watched as that frame magically began to levitate up off the floor, and pieces began to reassemble themselves. Do you believe that last part? You shouldn't. Some of you are like, and what happened next? Well, a unicorn walked into the shop and struck up a conversation with me about the finer things in life. Who knew that unicorns like to watch ESPN after a hard day of unicorning? No! The frame did not reassemble itself. There was no unicorn. They don't watch ESPN, but I, I want, I can hope, right? And so here we are. I'm watching the mess that I just created. Whose responsibility was it to clean it up? It was mine. It was my responsibility to clean up the mess that I made. And so what did I do? I cleaned up the mess and I built another frame. And by the grace of God, my friend Eric stretched a canvas over the front of that. And a beautiful portrait was painted across the front of that. And hundreds of students that week in Wisconsin got to experience hope in their schools. Why do I tell that story? Because if we have this habit of making messes and not cleaning up after ourselves, we're actually fighting the redemption of God's purpose in our lives. We're, we're fighting against Him. But when we, in humility, apologize, everybody makes mistakes. I've said so many things to people I love that I, I regret. But I'm learning how to apologize. Say, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm sorry if I, if I did wrong to you. And there's something powerful that takes place when we apologize. And here's what we need to remember. Our story may explain our decisions, but our story does not excuse our decisions. And if we can take responsibility for ourselves, we're growing up. Because a metric of responsibility, I'm sorry, a metric of maturity has nothing to do with age. A true measurement of maturity is directly tethered to the level of responsibility you and I take for ourselves. And so the more responsibility you take for you and your decisions and the outcomes that follow, you're maturing. That's what maturity is. And God wants His people to grow and to be mature. In other words, you and I need to do right. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, in the midst of our pain, we have to remember that, you know, now is not forever. We need to cherish our choice. And as we enter the third and final mile of this metaphor called the Three Mile Valley, we need to remember there's always an after. There's always an after. Six years ago, my family and I were camping. And my wife was nine months pregnant. 
Why were we camping when she was nine months pregnant? That's a great question, church. And so I'm on one side of the camper. She's on the other side of the camper. You know, she's laying down on that bed and, you know, that three inches of generous foam that they have on top of a piece of plywood. It's like rolling a paper towel across a tabletop. It is so uncomfortable. About three, four o'clock in the morning, she said the words that woke me out of a dead sleep. She said, I think my water just broke. And sure enough, it had done been broken. (laughs) So, we get to the hospital, which was closer. The campground was closer to the hospital. So now I'm sitting outside of the operating room because there was a scheduled C-section. And our daughter just moved the schedule up. So now I'm watching as the team of doctors is scrubbing in and parents, adults with children in your lives that you care for, if you can ever bring your children over or those little loved ones that you have to watch a team of medical professionals scrub in, just invite them all and you can say, look kids, they use soap. And so I'm watching them scrub in and they disappear into the room my heart's pounding. I'm in scrubs. I have the cool hat on, you know. The door opens and my heart skips a beat. And the nurse says, all right, Dad, we're ready for you. As I walk in and enter the room, there's like 12 people in this room, all working in concert as professionals. And in the corner is that space-age technology table that the infant is placed on that keeps their body temperature perfect. It's amazing. And to my left, there's the table that Marlena is on. There's three doctors attending to her. And I take my seat up by her head, and sitting next to me is the anesthetist. And how cush of a job is that? You get to sit down in every surgery you'll ever be a part of. That's awesome. And the doctors are just, they're bantering back and forth. They're talking. They are literally cutting my wife open, and they're talking like they're at McDonald's. It's amazing. And then it got silent. They went in, they retrieved Camden, who you saw in the video. And they held her up, Simba style, you know what I'm talking about? And they brought her to Mama, and they met briefly, and then they whisked her away to the space-age table. They cleaned her up. They wrapped her up like a little baby burrito. And then they said, all right, Dad, we're ready for you. I came over, and... As I held her, all I could do was weep. Because when Peyton died, I died. I hadn't felt in so long. But in that moment, I was holding the goodness of God. I was holding His faithfulness in my life. And God is authoring an after for us that is good. Here's what you need to know. God adds through seasons of subtraction. When life breaks you down, God builds you up. When the equation of your story, you feel like just withdrawal after withdrawal, is, and you feel the account of your life going negative, and you see red numbers on the Excel spreadsheet in your mind, and you, you just feel like you're just losing and losing and losing. Our God has promised us that in the end, we will come out ahead. He's promised good. Good. 
in eternity. Our story may not end the way that we thought it would. Good friend of mine, just last year, she's 41. She lost her battle to cancer. Four beautiful children. I was talking with my friend just last night as I was driving into the hotel. Now he has to figure out what to do next. He's a single dad now. He never wanted that. But now my friend who died of cancer, she's experiencing the fullness of God in ways that she never thought possible. She is now completely healed. And that's the hope of the cross. Jesus did what we could never do to to give us what we could never earn so that we could have what we cannot live without. But now my friend... God's going to author an after for him and his family that is good. Because he said he would. He said he would. In other words, you and I can watch God make it all right. We can watch him do that. But we've got a, a part to play in our story. Quick recap. Mile one, now is not forever. What you see is not what you get. What you see is what you must get through. In other words, you and I, we need to think right about ourselves, about God, and about others. It's important. And second thing, we need to cherish our choice and remember that my response is my responsibility. In other words, do right in response to all that's wrong. Last but not least, there's always an after. Our God adds through seasons of subtraction. You and I can watch Him make it all right. Because He's good even when life is not. There's a verse that's often read at funerals. It's the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Comfort me. And at first glance, this verse, it feels ominous, doesn't it? Valley, shadow, death. That's heavy. But look a little deeper. What creates shadows? Light. The only reason why death has an ability to cast a shadow over us is because Jesus is the greater light even above death. The only reason why dysfunction has any ability to cast a shadow is because Jesus is the greater light above dysfunction. He's conquered it all. And not only has He sovereignly stationed Himself above our story, He promises to walk with us through our story. And watch this. The promise of God is to make sure you and I get through the valley of the shadow of death. Look, it says it right there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God's not going to leave you in your valley. So grab His hand and take it one day at a time. You're going to make it. I know some of us in this room today, uh, we have not started following Jesus yet. We haven't accepted His invitation to follow Him. And so in a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. How has my family endured and how are we living the life that we're living? It's Jesus. That's the only reason why my marriage is healthier than it's ever been. It's because of Jesus. How are our children still praying every night? It's because of Jesus. Our life has not been easy, but I know that your life has not been easy either. But if you'll grab Jesus' hand, He's going to give you the victory over the obstacle in front of you. But it's an invitation. It's like right now your phone is ringing, but you have to answer. 
God will not answer his call on your life for you. You have to answer his call for yourself. And he's calling you into abundant life. And so here's what I'd like to do. Please bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're ready in this moment to stop going your way and to start going Jesus' way, to repent of your sin and to walk his way, to receive abundant life, in a moment, would you be brave enough to raise your hand and to signify externally what God is going to do internally, that you are going to reach for his hand now? If you're ready to start following Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Just hold it up for five seconds. And then you may place it down. Wait just another moment. Following Jesus is not easy. But it is amazing. If you raise your hand, would you please repeat this prayer out loud after me? And everybody in concert together in support of those who raised their hand, please repeat after me. Say it out loud. Say, Jesus, I thank you for dying for me, for coming back to life for me. Please forgive my sins. Help me to live for you forever. Amen. You can look up. Scripture is so clear. When just one person, just one person stops going their way and starts following Jesus' way, all of heaven, they start high-fiving, they grab their pillows, and they start crushing each other. No, I made that last part up. Heaven celebrates. And so let's join all of heaven and let's celebrate the lives that are now in the family of God that are walking now with Him away from their past towards Jesus in their future. Now watch this. If you raise your hand and you're like, I want to follow Jesus... That's not the last step. Following Jesus is a personal decision, but it was never meant to be private. Please find Pastor Kurt. Find a leader at this church and tell them that you're following Jesus. Please sign up to be water baptized. Let the family of God celebrate with you in just a couple of Sundays. It's going to be so awesome. So follow Jesus in water baptism. And now... The last thing we'll do together is this. Some of us in this room, we're, we're walking through something hard right now. It's tough right now. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you in your seat. If you just want prayer, would you, would you be brave enough to raise your hand in a moment? And after you raise your hand, people around you are going to move towards you. You're, you won't have to come forward. You can just raise your hand. And the people behind you, next to you, in front of you, they're going to just lay a gentle hand on your shoulder. And for 60 seconds, they're going to believe in faith with you for God's healing, His restoration, His peace, and His presence. And so this morning with eyes wide open, if you're going through a tough season, you don't have to tell anybody what it is. But you just want someone to pray with you in your seat right now. Would you be brave enough to raise your hand and just hold it up? And if you want to be part of somebody else's miracle now and your hand isn't raised, leave your seat right now and go stand next to them. Right now, just leave your seat. Go stand right next to them. Make sure that nobody is alone right now. Keep your hand up until someone lays a gentle hand on your shoulder. This is how we can be part of somebody else's miracle. And so now, church, for just 60 seconds, would you pray the prayer of faith? Scripture says that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that makes our prayers powerful and effective. So 60 seconds, church, just pray for them. 
Thank God for his faithfulness in their lives. Ask God for his healing in their story. Thank Jesus for his presence in their pain. Lord, we believe in resurrection power. We believe that the story does not end in sorrow. Although it may endure for a night, joy truly does come in the morning. So Lord, we ask you to do what only you can do in every single story represented here. We pray that you would author and after for them that is so far beyond what they could think for themselves. God, would you be glorified today? We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. that sometimes we experience. Church, can we just thank Dan uh, for coming today and sharing with us. What an awesome. You know, as I sat and listened to his story, the powerful testimony uh, of just what the Lord did in walking them through and bringing hope and healing. And I know that we just prayed for that. So our prayer for you today is that when these things hit, when these things are encountered, that you will in every way remember this incredible testimony, story, powerful, powerful hope and healing. I want you to know that our God is for... Aren't you glad we don't have to walk through those things alone? That that He is with us. I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the the message some of the things. Dan is an author, and uh, he he is a communicator. He has taken this story of tragedy, and he has written it. Maybe it'll be a help for you. Maybe it'll be a help for someone that you know. I encourage you, uh, as you head out today, to stop by and see Dan. Shake his hand. Tell him how glad you are to have him here. and uh, he'll be at his table out back here. And uh, if you would desire one of those, they're available here. Uh, just wanted you to know that. Uh, also, uh, want you to know before you head out, I made a terrible mistake uh, during announcement. I see some of the ladies are already, they're looking at me. And if you show up at my house this Thursday, we'll have a problem. Because it's next Thursday. Are you okay with that? You forgive me? Sorry about that. I did not mean to be confused. I was just excited. Come on over. Let's have a party, you know. But it's next Thursday. Church, wasn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.